You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone. From San Francisco, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Saturday, August 15th, and I'm here for the next 15 or 20 minutes to provide you with a recap of what's been going on in the world of college football and the world of Ohio State football since the Big Ten's historic announcement to cancel fall sports. There will be no Buckeye football for the first time since 1890. That's pretty crazy, historic. Obviously, a lot of thoughts and feelings have been shared across the internet, across Twitter by folks who are connected to the program or report on the program, folks who run fan sites or podcasts like me. I've been observing everything that's been said and all the thoughts and feelings kind of flying back and forth over over Twitter. And I just wanted to comment on some of that stuff. And there actually have been some fairly significant recent developments I wanted to comment on as well. So let's get started with a letter from the parents of Ohio State University football players addressed to Kevin Warren that was just dropped into my Twitter feed about 20 minutes ago. And I'm going to read from the letter here for you right now. I'm just going to skip down to the bottom of the letter. There's a series of bullet points listing the demands of Ohio State University football player parents. Here we go. First bullet point, reinstate the August 5th game schedule. Now that's a typo. They mean the September 5th game schedule. In the event the fall season is deemed not to be in the best interest of athletes, provide a detailed plan for an alternate season. Next bullet point, provide full transparency to the coaches players and parents regarding the data used to make your decision and then have a meeting with representatives that include players, parents, and coaches. Big 10 commissioner to participate in a Zoom call with senior players and parents. That's the third bullet point. Fourth bullet point, allow teams who are prepared to play to play. Those teams who are not prepared to play should be given the opportunity to forfeit or opt out until next season. Fifth bullet point, provide a detailed action plan, including standard protocols and safety practices for all teams. Finally, provide us with a response no later than August 19th. What I thought was interesting is that in the moment that this letter dropped into my Twitter feed, it was reported that the University of Oklahoma just had nine positive COVID-19 tests among their players there. And what's interesting about that report is those players had been given a break by head coach Lincoln Riley. And during that time off, those players contracted the virus apparently and and tested positive. Nine players uh, in Norman, Oklahoma have tested positive. So it's interesting to weigh these two different pieces of news. You have Ohio State parents who believe that their sons can compete safely this fall and are demanding the Big Ten reconsider playing football in the fall. And then we've got the news from Oklahoma, another big-time program, another region in this country that cares deeply about college football, reporting that nine of their players have just tested positive for COVID-19 during a pause in team activities. I think that's significant. So with respect to the parents, I have some feelings about this. I appreciate the letter. It seems like a pretty well thought out list of of demands. I understand they're upset. I understand their sons are disappointed that they're not going to be able to compete this fall. I can't imagine that this letter is going to have any bearing on 
Kevin Warren's decision to cancel fall sports. I, I don't think this is going to have any impact on that. Personally, if I'm Kevin Warren, if I'm the university presence, the, 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 the absolute last group of people I'd listen to when it comes to player safety during a pandemic are parents. And I know they care. I know they want what they want. They want what they want for their sons. But many parents can be completely irrational <laughs> when it comes to their children. And I think there can be unrealistic entitlements when it comes to that. Um, and, and I think the fact that this letter dropped into my Twitter feed at the exact same time that the news broke about the Oklahoma players is significant. Okay. Uh, to me, I don't think this can be done safely. I don't think a college football season right now under the current conditions can be can be played safely. Now, I do agree with the transparency piece. I do think they're entitled to see the data that the Big Ten used, that Kevin Warren used and the university presence used to come to their decision to cancel. I, I think they're entitled to see it. And I think they should. I think that should be released. What's the harm in releasing that information? I'd personally like to see it myself. Now, when and if that information is released, what do the parents think they're going to find? I, I, there's no great mystery why the Big Ten canceled its season. It's more or less going to be the exact same data governors across the country used to issue shelter-in-place orders months ago. Now, there's plenty of data out there to help us understand why we can't safely play college football. You can go to the World Health Organization website. You can go to the CDC website. You can check out the 12-page PDF that the Pac-12 released last week when they announced their decision to cancel fall sports. Personally, I think the Big Ten should have done the same. They didn't. However, I think it's probably going to be almost the exact same data. But since we do have access to what the Pac-12 used, why don't I read that to you right now? And I had mentioned it on our Wednesday pod, but I'm going to, I'm going to mention it again here for your benefit. In the 12-page PDF that the Pac-12 released of medical data that they used to come to their decision to cancel their season, they listed three main factors. The first factor is high community prevalence of the virus within the Pac-12 footprint. I think that's significant because I think that's what we're all dealing with. In all over major college football country, high community prevalence is still a major issue. Number two. From the Pac-12, second concern, second factor, new and evolving information regarding potential serious cardiac side effects in elite athletes as a result of exposure to COVID-19. That's the condition, of course, known as myocarditis. Now, there was a, an article circulating a report today about a Michigan doctor who was calling into question a report that was supposedly used by the Big Ten around my, myocarditis in its decision to cancel, and he was questioning the validity of that report. I think if you do enough digging or enough reading about myocarditis, I think at best, we just don't know how many instances of myocarditis occur in folks who contract COVID-19. I think it doesn't appear that there's anything conclusive yet. There's a lot of unknowns around it. And I think when you're talking about an unknown with respect to a serious condition like myocarditis, I, I can't, I can't, I don't think you can proceed when you don't know enough about that condition. 
So that to me seems like a reasonable factor that the PAC-12 used in making its decision. Finally, the third factor concerns over testing capacity, namely rapid turnaround time of test results. The Big Ten, pardon me, the PAC-12 just didn't feel there was enough of that kind of testing available for them to proceed with the college football season. Now, there was another report released just today that saliva testing uh, has been approved and could very soon be leveraged in getting quick turnaround testing for athletes, for people in general, not just college athletes. You can find information on that. That's been circulated all over my Twitter feed. I'll see if I can dig that up for you and I'll point you in the direction of that recent report. I don't know how soon that type of testing, saliva testing could be leveraged by college football programs, but it is an exciting development that maybe in the very near future, we can have quick turnaround saliva testing which would uh, be a great alternative to the way they're doing testing now. Okay, I get it. Ohio State fans, players, coaches, uh, players, fans, coaches around the Big Ten are disappointed. They're upset right now. And now they're looking over at the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 who are all attempting to play. That can only further exacerbate some very hard feelings about the cancellation of football in Big Ten country. I would say, however, though, that the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are a long way from actually being able to pull off a college football season. There are three major hurdles, in my estimation, that those three conferences need to clear before they can begin and safely complete a football season. And I'm going to go through those for you right now. The first is students returning to campuses. Now, as we've just seen with the report out of Norman, Oklahoma, where students have returned to campus where nine Oklahoma football players just tested positive for COVID-19 during a pause in team activities. We can see the early returns on students returning to campus. That hurdle, we're not doing so great. Also, per the News and Observer, two new clusters of COVID-19 cases were found in dorms at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill this week. Also, according to the South Bend Tribune, the University of Notre Dame's reported 29 new cases of COVID-19, many of which could be traced to an off-campus party where students didn't wear masks or practice social distancing. Now, if you remember just last week, Notre Dame was lauded as the standard bearer in preventing the spread of the virus when it tested 12,000 students and less than half of a percent tested positive. But that was before all these students started interacting with each other on campus. So, With respect to this first very important hurdle, students returning to campuses, the early returns are not great. And we've got three schools in conferences that are attempting to compete this fall in football that are already showing clusters of this virus. The second hurdle, full contact practices. That's another thing. Now, a lot of these test results that we're hearing about at programs across the country, these glowing test results where there have been zero to very few positive tests you know, that that testing has been done in an environment where there are no full contact practices happening. And most of the drills are done with social distancing, players being able to wear masks. We're not to the full contact practice stage yet. If you remember, that's a phase where the Big Ten was reluctant to go. They would not let its players go into that phase of practicing. They shut things down and canceled the season before players could get to that stage. And we're not there yet with these other conferences. Or if we are there, it's very, very early on in full contact practices. I know the SEC is not going to be starting full contact practices until next week. So that's another major, major hurdle. We don't know what's going to happen once these players start hitting each other. 
and breathing and sweating on each other. And then the third and final hurdle is, of course, actual games. When schools start competing on the field against one another. And the problem I've had with these glowing test results that we keep reading about at programs across the country, again, is that those are test results that are taken inside of a bubble, basically, where the program has a lot of control over the environment. Now, once you step on the field with another team, you leave your bubble, right? You leave your practice facility, you leave the friendly, safe confines of your practice facility where you have, I don't want to say complete control, but a lot of control. And then you step on the field with another team and you're subject to that team's adherence and commitment to testing and 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 protocols. Okay, so once you once that happens, I think it's a whole different ballgame, pardon the pun, but it is. You're no longer operating inside that bubble and you're subject to how well your opponent has adhered to testing and protocols. And we've already started to hear around the country that there are some programs, mid, middlings and cellar dweller type programs that have really no championship aspirations, no conference title aspirations, who are not taking the testing very seriously. For example, we know that Syracuse, it was reported that Syracuse was only testing its players every other week. Okay, now Syracuse plays in the ACC. Now, if you're a Clemson fan or you know a player, a coach, an administrator at Clemson, and you know you're going to be stepping on the field later this season with Syracuse, and you're hearing that Syracuse is only testing its players every other week, you have to seriously question how, how seriously they're taking their approach to mitigating this virus. So this illusion of control, I think, is what I've had an issue with all along. Even at Ohio State, I believe they're following the protocols and testing to a T. I believe every single player at Ohio State is committed to following the protocols and doing the right thing. But that 10-game conference-only slate was not scheduled to, to be played in the woody, right? You can't play 10 intra-squad scrimmages, right, and call that a season. You have to step on the field with players from other schools, and then you're subject to how well, how diligent they've been about mitigating the virus in their practice facility. Earlier this week, I think it was Joel Klatt who was the first to espouse this idea that with no football in the fall, there's a grave concern of some players could be vulnerable to depression. We could see a rash, in other words, of clinical depression, substance abuse, perhaps even player suicide without football in the fall. Personally, I think that's a pretty big leap by Klatt to, to, to assume that that's going to happen in large numbers. Even small numbers is a problem. I'm, I don't want to trivialize even one player who could fall into depression, who could develop a substance abuse problem, who could consider suicide because he doesn't have the structure of a football season in the fall. I don't want to trivialize that. I think it's a big leap by by Klatt to assume that though. And I think if you are genuinely concerned about the health and wellness of Ohio State football players or college football players, whoever your favorite team is, you're genuinely concerned about their mental health, then I think the first step in helping with that is to stop treating the decision by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to cancel football in the fall 
as some great injustice, as some act of tyranny. Look, this was a safety measure taken to protect the health and well-being and the futures of young student-athletes. That's what this was. This was not an act of tyranny. This was not a great crime against humanity. And if you're really concerned about the health and well-being, if you're concerned about the mental health of these young student-athletes, then stop treating it like that because that's not what this was. And it's okay to be disappointed, right? But let's not feed, let's not make it any more than that. It doesn't have to be any more than disappointment, okay? And then the second thing I would encourage you to do is to remind these players just how much they still have in front of them, how much opportunity, how much good fortune they have right now in their lives. You are still under scholarship, pursuing a degree at a top-notch university that'll last you the rest of your life. You can still be around your teammates. You're going to be tested regularly for COVID-19 to make sure that you're safe. You have access to great medical care. You've got a lot going for you. It's okay to be disappointed. But I think in times like these, when something's been taken away from you that you care about and that you badly want, it's important to remember what you still have. And I think if you really care about these players, you care about their mental health, help them to focus on those things. Especially if you're a guy like Joel Klatt, or if you're an influential figure in college sports, if you're a former player that hosts a, a local radio show that still has contact with lots of current players, if you're a national analyst like Klatt, I would use your platform like that. I would use your platform to help players understand they still have a lot going for them and that this is just a pause in competition. This isn't the cancellation of football in perpetuity. It's just a pause. And yeah, it's disappointing. It's going to be tough to wait, but you will get the chance to compete again. We know for that the NCAA has decided that players will retain this year of eligibility to compete again next year or whenever it is that football will be allowed to, to happen again. That's great news. I've seen some folks on on Twitter say they feel sorry for Sean Wade. Why would you feel sorry for Sean Wade? He's a great Buckeye success story. Sean Wade just graduated from Ohio State this past week. He has a degree from the Ohio State University. He has a top-notch education that's going to last him the rest of his life. Now, it's been reported that Wade will opt out and prepare for the NFL draft, which makes total sense. So he leaves Columbus with a degree as an elite NFL prospect who will be drafted in the first round. And by this time next year, he'll be a millionaire. He'll have generational wealth and be competing at the highest level of football. That is not something to mourn. That is something to celebrate. Sean Wade does not need your pity. I'm sure he doesn't want your pity. Same with Baron Browning. Baron Browning also graduated this past week. He has a degree from The Ohio State University, one of the greatest universities in the world. He's got a top-notch education that'll open doors for him the rest of his life. He is also a professional prospect. He, if he chooses to leave Columbus and go pro and opt out of his last year of eligibility, he's a pro prospect who will be a, probably a millionaire by this time next year and will have generational wealth, if not next year, sometime very soon in his future. His story is to be celebrated, not mourned. He doesn't need your pity. I'm sure he doesn't want your pity. Save your compassion for the people who have suffered through this this pandemic the most, okay? We've got almost 170,000 dead Americans as a result of this virus and the families left behind to mourn them. We have millions of others who've contracted this virus and are going to be suffering from long-term health effects in some cases. 
we have millions of people that have been disenfranchised as a result of this virus that can't find work. We have people who spent their lives building businesses that have failed as a result of this pandemic that don't know where they're, how they're going to make ends meet, where their next paycheck is going to come from, how they're going to keep a roof over their heads. Those are the people that deserve your compassion. You can certainly feel disappointed on behalf of Ohio State players and other Big Ten players and Pac-10 players. Be disappointed along with them, okay? But let's have some perspective here, okay? Let's not lose all perspective. I think there are some folks around Columbus who cover Ohio State football, who are local radio, radio personalities, local beat writers that need need a reality check here. I think they need to check themselves. I think they need to get a hold of yourself before you say something you regret that might be difficult to walk back. Because the truth is, the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 have a long road to hoe before they can actually hold a season. And I think you're going to look and sound pretty stupid uh, when those three conferences ultimately decide to cancel their seasons, which I believe they will. And I think if you want to do some good in this situation, not just for Ohio State players, but Ohio State fans, I would start focusing on what's next. And what's next, I think, is a pretty compelling case from Ryan Day for a season in the winter. Initially, when I read when I read Day's statements, when I listened to his press conference and I listened to his proposal, I was a little skeptical. But now that I've had time to think about it, I think it makes good sense. I think you, we can pull off a season after the new year from early January to late February. There's a way to do that. We know that Jeff Brom, the head coach at Purdue, another bright young mind in college football, has a proposal of his own for spring football that seems very realistic to me. We know that Lincoln Riley, the head coach at Oklahoma, has been a proponent of spring football for months now. He thinks it can be pulled off. If those guys think that we can pull that off, then we can pull it off. So what I would do if I'm a local Ohio State beat writer, radio personality, and I've got the ear of thousands of Ohio State fans, I would use my platform to get focus, people focused on that, focused on the positive, because I think we can do that. I think there's a way to do that. I would stop throwing red meat to angry fans. People are having a tough time getting past this. I don't. I know that's going to get you clicks and retweets, but I don't know that you're serving Ohio State fans. I don't know that you're serving the situation that well. You're certainly entitled to do what you want with your platform. This is just a pause. That's all this is. The sun will come up tomorrow. I believe that. And there's a way that we'll be able to see football again in the near future. Now, the other thing that I would ask people to do is I think as a country, we have not done our part. The average American has not done their part in helping mitigate this virus. And I'm talking about wearing masks, socially distancing, avoiding large gatherings. They've been able to do it in the rest of the developed world. It's a short-term sacrifice. We know that epidemiologists have been telling us that if we can do this for six to eight weeks as a country and stay committed to it, we can get this thing under control. So if you're a rabid college football fan like me and you want to see the Buckeyes get back to competing, there's something that you can do in your everyday life. And that starts with wearing masks, socially distancing, and just being responsible. I think we can do this. All right. That's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I feel a little bit better having gotten some of this off my chest. I'm certainly no authority on all this stuff. It's just my opinion, but I appreciate you listening. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast and you like what I said today, or you don't like it, whatever, if you want to comment on what we're providing here on the South Stands, we'd really appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. We'd love to get your feedback. 
We also have an email address that if you want to comment on what I've said here today or what any of us has said in recent pods, you can reach us at thesouthstandsosu at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, we'd love to read your feedback on uh, on the podcast. So please drop us a line if you feel like it. Finally, we are working on a website. Hopefully, we'll have that up and running by the end of this month. It's just a central place where you can find all of our audio content. And we might even start taking a crack at some written content too. You'll be able to find it there. We'll have more news on the site for you in the coming days. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your weekend, folks. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.